Welcome and thank you for joining me once again. I'm Asia and we're back with another special edition and I can't wait. This is Unknown Serial Killers, Killer Woman Edition. Of course, views discretion is advised because we're talking about violence, drugs, and murder. Without further ado, let's get into talking about Christine Falling and Mary Beth Tynan. Christine Laverne Slaughter was the youngest child in an unusual family. Her father, Thomas, was 65 years old at the time of her birth, while her mother, Anne, was at the age of 16, still a minor. The family was below the poverty line, and Christine did not receive the necessary early childhood support. Because of this, she was considered mentally challenged, and she also suffered from epilepsy. When her parents could no longer afford to support her, and also because of ongoing arguments between them, Christine Christine spent some of her childhood and youth in various orphanages. She compensated for her insecurities and pent-up anger by killing small animals, especially domestic cats, at an early age. In order to test their quote-unquote non-lives, as she later justified her actions, she often caused the animals to fall from heights. In September 1977, the 14-year-old Christine was forced by her parents to marry a 20-year-old man called Gooper Falling. But the marriage was, which resulted in almost daily quarrels and altercations, ended in divorce after only six weeks. After that, she became seriously ill. In the next two years, she had to be hospitalized 50 times. She suffered hallucinations, complained of red dots that appeared before her eyes, and menstrual bleeding at irregular levels. In order to make money, Falling began working as a babysitter for neighbors and friends. On February 25, 1980, two-year-old Cassidy Johnson was sent to a doctor's office in Blountstown, Florida. She was diagnosed with meningitis caused by traumatic brain injuries. Three days later, the girl died from internal injuries. Christine Falling, who had been babysitting for her, said that Cassidy had fallen out of the crib. Shortly after the death of Cassidy Johnson, Falling moved to Lakeland, Florida. Two months later, in early summer 1980, four-year-old Jeffrey Davis died while under her supervision. The autopsy pointed to myocarditis as the cause of death. Now, for those who don't know, myocarditis is inflammation of the middle layer of the heart wall caused by a viral infection. However, the doctors doubted whether this alone had caused Jeffrey's death. Three days later, his funeral took place and Falling was asked to oversee her cousin, two-year-old Joseph Spring. He died a few hours later, doctors diagnosing a viral infection. In July 1981, Falling left Lakeland and returned to her hometown of Perry in Northern Florida. A few families wanted to entrust their children to her care. She began to work as a nursing assistant for seniors. 77-year-old William Swindle died in his kitchen on the same day that Falling Heart started caring for him. In the fall of the same year, the daughter of Christine's half-sister, eight-month-old Jennifer Daniels died. While Christine's half-sister had gone to the supermarket, she left her daughter with Christine for a few moments in the car during which time the girl stopped breathing. Doctors suspected SIDS to be the cause of death. The turning point of the death streak was the death of 10-week-old Travis Coleman 
who died on July 2nd, 1982, while Christine was taking care of him in Bluntstown. The autopsy found internal injuries that only could have been caused by suffocation. When the police contacted Falling, she confessed to murdering three of the children because she had heard voices telling her, quote unquote, killed the baby. She had suffocated the children with pillows and blankets. Christine Falling was sentenced to life imprisonment in December 1982, and her confession preventing her from getting the death penalty. Falling is imprisoned at the Homestead Correctional Institution in Homestead, Florida. Now, I don't know about you guys, but anyone who has the heart to kill any type of kid or elderly person is just pure evil. Now, let's get into Mary Beth Rowe Tynan. She was born to Ruth and Alton Lewis Rowe on September 11, 1942, in the small town of Duanesburg, New York. There's little information regarding her formative years. During some of this time, her father was deployed overseas fighting in World War II while her mother was working. Because both parents were away so much, she was occasionally shuffled among relatives. One elder relative told her that she was an unwanted, accidental child. Mary Beth was an average student at Dunsburg High School, from which she graduated in 1961. Following high school, she worked at various low-paying, unskilled jobs. She eventually settled on a job as a nursing assistant at Ellis Hospital in Schenectady, New York. In 1963, Mary Beth met Joseph Tynan, on a blind date with some friends. Joseph was quietly happy-go-lucky. They married in 1965, and their child, Barbara, was born on May 1967, following in January 1970 by Joseph Jr. On December 26, 1971, Jennifer, the Tynings' third child, was born at St. Clair's Hospital. Jennifer had meningitis and multiple brain abscesses that had developed in utero. She lived for only a week and never left the hospital. She died on January 3, 1972. Two weeks after her daughter's death, Tynan took two-year-old Joseph Jr. to the emergency room in Schenectady, claiming that he had a seizure and choked in his own vomit. On January 20th, a few hours after his release, Mary Beth brought Joseph Jr. back to the emergency room. The boy was dead on arrival, and his death was attributed to cardiopulmonary arrest. Several weeks later, on March 1st, Mary Beth rushed Barbara, almost five years old, to Ellis Hospital because she had gone into convulsions. The next day, Barbara died after being in a coma state, comatosis state for several hours. On Thanksgiving Day, 1973, Tynan gave birth to son Timothy. On December 10th, Timothy was brought back to the same hospital dead. Tining told doctors she found him lifeless in his crib. In March 1975, Tining's fifth child, Nathan, was born. That autumn, he died in a car while out with Tining. In August 1978, they adopted newborn Michael. On October 29th, Mary Beth gave birth to her sixth child, Mary Frances. In January 1979, Tining rushed Mary Frances to the emergency room directly across the street from her home, saying the baby was having a seizure. She was revived 
and a month later brought back again on full cardiac arrest. She was revived but had irreversible brain damage. She died two days later after being taken off life support. The Tynings' eighth child, Jonathan, was born in the fall of 1979. He died March 1980 after being kept on life support in Albany, New York for four weeks. In February 1981, Michael fell down the steps and suffered a concussion. On March 2nd, she took him to the doctor because he wouldn't wake up. He was already dead when she brought him into the doctor's office. Tammy Lynn was born August 22nd, 1985 on December 20th. She died from being smothered. Mary Beth Tynan was eventually jailed but she made bail until trial. She confessed to smothering Tammy Lynn, Nathan, and Timothy, which she later recanted. She denied having harmed the other children. She was convicted in Tammy Lynn's case and was sentenced to 20 years in jail. I know that was a lot to take in, but I really do hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed telling it. Join me again next week to get into the minds and background of some more unknown serial killers. And remember, be nice to people. You never know who they killed.